Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Would, would, would you join me in your Bible with the reading of Psalm 121? I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Then the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. It would be good if you would open your Bible to Genesis chapter 49. If you want an outline of the sermon... That's where you may have it. The 49th chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, this is going to be an expository sermon. We're going to walk down through these verses, and so it will be very helpful if you can be watching or looking at the passage as we go. So glad to see you here this morning. Stephen did a terrific job choosing the songs. It set the table, I think, beautifully for this lesson. Among the rudiments of the Bible... I mean, the basic things that all of us know. There are 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. We got that. That's important, though, that it was written over about 1,600 years by about 40 different writers. We got that. That's important, though. That's rudimentary. It's important that it's inspired of God, that it's verbally inspired of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16, 17. It is verbally, plenary inspiration. That's important. I want you to add this to the list. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. No, 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 wait, I I know that seems painfully obvious. I'm not just talking about the New Testament. I'm talking about the Old Testament. I'm talking about the entire Bible. Until you get that reality, there's so much the Old Testament you're not going to appreciate to its fullest. The Old Testament, the hero of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Now, hold that thought. Here's the next thing I want you to think about. The Messianic prophecies of the Old Testament are, there's just a plethora of them. There's so many of them. And it would be a great study sometime. We could spend a quarter and just go through the Messianic prophecies, the prophecies about the Messiah coming. The Old Testament is just overflowing with them. What are your favorites? What comes to to your mind when you think about the... Prophecies about the Messiah. Well, you know, we, we often, before we eat the Lord's Supper, we read from Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Don't you think it's remarkable that we're eating the Lord's Supper? That's a distinctly New Testament concept, New Testament thing to do, and yet we prepare our minds for it by reading the Old Testament. How do you like that? Or Psalm 22, verse 16 says, They pierced my hands and my feet. It's prophecy. It's a messianic 
prophecy. Or Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Oh, Bethlehem Ephrathah. You're small, but boy, what's going to happen in you is big because the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. It's Messianic prophecy. Now, to this list of your favorite Messianic prophecies, I want you to add this one today. It's Genesis chapter 49. Now, you're familiar probably with with what's happening here. I just want to go a little deeper than what we usually do. This is Jacob, the end of Jacob's life. And I'm flooded when I think about Jacob and all the different things that we know about him. I I knew him before he was born because I've read about that in Genesis. And then we know about his twin brother Esau and the struggle between Jacob and Esau and that Jacob deceived him and and he got the birthright. And I know I know the birthright's a big deal because of, of this and all that went about. I know the great chasm, great cleavage between these two twin brothers that lasted for years and years. I know something about Jacob's marriage, and he meant to marry Rachel, but he ended up marrying Rachel and her sister Leah, and how complicated that was. And I, and I know that, that you have this, this family developing. I know about Joseph being sold into Egyptian slavery, and, and I know what happened with that, and ultimately the, 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 the descendants, the children of Jacob... All their families are going to be brought by Joseph to the land of Goshen in Egypt in order to be fed and protected in a time of famine. We get to chapter 49, and, and Jacob is dying. And chapter 48, too. He's on his deathbed. And when I say that, I mean chapter 49, where we are today, is it's just moments before he dies. Moments. At the bottom, he's going to pull his legs up in the bed, and he's going to expire. God gives him this last few moments of clarity that is remarkable to prophesy the blessing to his sons. Now, i got to put the word blessing in quotes because a lot of what I'm going to show you this morning doesn't seem like a blessing. It seems like curses to these boys because some of them you have little about and some of them, like with Reuben, you have some really harsh things about. But what's about to happen is the people of, of Jacob, the people of Israel, are just about. This is the end of Genesis. We start Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8. There arose a king in Egypt who knew not Joseph. And we're going to start the slavery in Egypt. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. We're on the precipice of that. These are the last days just before that. And Jacob prophesies. You have to remember what's about to happen in 400 years is a deliverance from that Egyptian bondage, and Moses is going to lead all the children of Israel across the Red Sea. But when they go across the Red Sea, it's all of them. So, well, let's just, let me just mention one more thing. In Deuteronomy chapter six, uh, chapter seven, beginning in verse six, you have this, this reference to how come God picked Israel. I mean, I mean, why, why? There's why you look at Israel and all the blemishes, all the, the weaknesses in these people of Israel. The answer is that in that passage, he explains it. I love you. I love you, he said. I, I, but, but I didn't pick you because you were the biggest. And he certainly didn't pick them because they, they were the most holy. It was because the promise he made to their forefathers. He promised that great patriarch Abraham that through his seed, all nations are going to be blessed. I'm going to bring the Messiah through you. And he's got to keep that promise, I declare. <laughs> through awful things that happen in Israel. Terrible, terrible weaknesses in Israel all through these years. Okay, that brings us to the time when Jacob is dying in Genesis 49, and he gives the blessings, or 
however you wish to call it. And it's, it's going to be a blessing because as a nation, the Christ is going to come through this nation. He had, God had to choose a nation through whom the Messiah would be born. He picked the descendants of Jacob. Because, because Abraham and these, these were, he was righteous and God blessed Abraham and, and so there you have it. Okay. And God's always going to keep his word. He always will. And that's what he does with Israel. And Jacob called his sons and said, gather together that I may tell you what I shall, or what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together here, you sons of Jacob, and listen to your father. Reuben's the first one. Reuben. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. That sounds really good. And, 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 you know, he's the firstborn, so you know what that means. He's going to have the double portion of the inheritance. That's what happens with the firstborn. And he's going he's to be the priest of the family. He's going to be the royalty of the family, the kingly of the family. And you see this in this, this, these few verses. He's the beginning, verse 3, the excellency of dignity. There's the priesthood. But then he says, verse 4, unstable is water. You shall not excel, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. You went up to my couch. Unstable as water. It's a reference back to Genesis chapter 35. And the Bible says that, that Reuben went in unto his dad's handmaid, Bilhah, the concubine of his dad. And you know, I don't know, and I'm going to give you a little speculation here. It looks like that what he did was sexually motivated. I'd rather doubt that. I think it was politically motivated. What you have here is is a man, Reuben, who's going to be the, the head of this amazing family through whom the Messiah ultimately will come. I mean, Jacob knows that right now, and he's expressing that. But but Reuben then went, and, and it is just as if to say, I'm Reuben, I'm the firstborn. I'm going to be the head of this family, and don't you forget it. And just to demonstrate that, I could lay with my father's handmaid. Who would do that? Who would do such a thing? I think he was very presumptuous. I think he was proud. I think the arrogance is going to be his downfall. And now he's described as unstable as water. Did his dad remember that? Oh, he remembered it. And when you get down to this part, Jacob the father says, you will not excel. And you know what? Reuben's nothing. Reuben just melts away. Reuben, I mean, yet you have him in Gilead, and, and his, his story just ends. Let me just show you a couple of places quickly where Reuben pops up. Or his descendants, what will his descendants be like? In Numbers chapter 16, you have the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram are Reubenites. Get a load of that. That's... And then you get to, to, to uh, Numbers chapter 32. And before they, the Israelites cross over into the promised land, they cross over the Jordan River. There are a lot of battles in Canaan to be fought. There are two, two uh, tribes that said, hey, wait a minute. Before we cross over, this is Jezreel and Gilead, and it's beautiful for cattle, and we have a lot of cattle. Y'all go ahead and fight the battles. We'll stay on this side. You want to know which tri- two tribes? Okay, that was really insulting to Moses. I mean, to Joshua, really insulting. Who do you think you are trying to discourage the hearts of the people? You, you, you're part of this group. We're, we're part of a, a nation of people, and we're going to go over, by the power of God, we're going to win the Canaanites. And, and you're going to stay over here? You're going to abandon us? 
And then it worked out fine. And, but, but you know who, which two tribes? It was Reuben and Gad. Reuben was one of those. Unstable as water. I'm just saying that the prophecy of Jacob on this occasion, just before he breathed his last, was spot on. Keep going. I'm in verse 5 now of our text. Genesis 49. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Of course they're brothers. Yeah, but they're similar. That's what this means. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man. In their self-will they hamstrung an ox. I don't know when that happened, but, but to hamstrung string an ox means that you cut these tendons, tendons in his legs, and then the ox can't be a, useful to a farmer anymore. Cursed be their anger for its fierce and their wrath for its cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Beside that last part, you need to write Joshua 19 and Joshua 21 because those things came to pass. But when did this happen? It happened in Genesis chapter 34. Dinah, their sister, Simeon and Levi's sister, Jacob's daughter, uh, is abused. A man by the name of Shechem who is a Hittite, one of the Canaanitish people, a Hittite. He finds her, he violates her, he's the son of Hamer. Now, Shechem is, is interesting because he's very much like some of the people of the world in 2022. He raped her, but he doesn't see that as such a big deal because now he says, I'm just crazy in love with her. I think he was mostly in lust with her, but he wants to marry her. So he goes to his dad and says, get her for my wife. And and so Hamer comes to Simon and Levi, the brothers. Look, uh, my son really wants to marry your your sister, and can we work something out? Maybe an alliance between us. What do you say? Simon and Levi conspired, and they said this. You know that we're Israelites. Israelites practice circumcision, and, and we really can't make an alliance with you because you're uncircumcised. Now, if all of your men would agree to, at one time, for circumcision, if, if you would all agree, to, all the men agree to that, then, then, then we could, we could do this. We could create the alliance and, and your son could marry our sister, Dinah. What do you say? And the reasoning was, well, an alliance would be very, very beneficial to us. I mean, his, his livestock will sort of be like our livestock. I mean, we could really gain from this. The answer is, it sounds pretty awful. It's going to be painful for a while, but okay. It's a deal. So at one time, all the men of that city were circumcised. And when they were disabled, for that period of, rec- of, uh, of healing, Simeon and Levi went in and killed them all. Killed them all. All the men of the city killed them all. Because they couldn't fight. Now that's the Simeon and Levi that Jacob references here and says, I'm scared of them because of their anger. I'm telling you what, they are loose cannons. Now, verse 8 has Judah, and I'm going to skip him because he's the heart of this, and I'm coming back to him in just a moment. Drop down to 13. Not much about Zebulun and Issachar. Zebulun shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships. His borders shall adjoin Sidon. Issachar is, is a strong donkey. I don't know if that means Democrat. I don't know what that means. Lying down between two burdens. And this is the main thing about him. He saw that rest was good 
and that the land was pleasant, he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. The, the typical way that this is read is that he was just lazy. He found out that indolence was the way for him, and the very idea that he would that he would lay down between bur- two burdens. I don't. You can imagine a man working in the field, and he just decides to lay down and stretch out, and nobody can see him in that cornfield anyhow. Now, verse sixteen is Dan. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way. That is, he's clever and he's he's crafty, and he's going to be great for a military man. And that's how he passes down. His seed, a viper by the path that strikes the horse's heels so that its rider shall fall backwards. You want to know who the most famous Danite is in the scripture? Well, it's, it's Judges chapter 16, 13 through 16, and it's Samson. And Samson fits the bill. And Samson ends his life when he puts his hands on those two pillars and he pushes them apart. And in so doing, he, he kills all those Philistines, just like, I mean, they didn't see that coming. It's just like a serpent who would bite a man as he walked by a path. Now, 18. In verse, verse 18, I've written in my Bible the word intermission. Because what is this doing here? I've waited for your salvation, O Lord. You know what I think? I think that he's just going through these names, and here are these sons standing in front of him, and he's just a few minutes to live as he expresses these things. But he's just talked about Judah. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from Judah is going to come the Messiah. Jesus is going to come from the Messiah. From uh, Jesus is coming from Judah, and and he's uttered that. And then he, you know, he goes back. He goes back, and he starts talking about these others: Zebulun and Issachar and Dan. And it's like he just caught himself, and he's dominated by this thought. I don't know if that's exactly right, but it. It just seems like that. And he says, I've waited for your salvation, O Lord. I don't know about, I don't know about Jacob. That's how I'm feeling as I'm reading it because I know that we've got Judah in here and I know that my Lord is going to come from Judah. Now verse 19. Gad, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. In your Bible, write 1 Chronicles 12. Gad was a strong military leader. Powerful military. Verse 20. Bread from Asher shall be rich, and he shall yield royal dainties. Beside that, write Second Kings 15, or Second Kings 5, rather. Uh, Solomon was going to build the temple. He got the timber from Hiram, and Hiram said, I'll give you the temper, but you got to take care of our food needs. And so far as we can tell, those food needs came from Asher. Who, who had lots of food, who was a farmer, all of that. One, one more thing about this one is that, that there's a famous person in the New Testament who came from the tribe of Asher, and it was Anna in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Anna, who was the prophetess in the temple when our Lord was born. Verse 21, Naphtali is a deer let loose. That has to do with his military power and speed. He uses beautiful words. Now, I'm not going to take the time, but you can go to Judges chapter 5, and, and Deborah and, and Barak are there. They're from Naphtali. They're of the tribe of Naphtali. And you can read the poetry of Deborah and Barak. 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Now, let me tell you about, you, you, you know Joseph, and you, you know that a, that a full third of the book of Genesis is about Joseph. Would it surprise you that while he's not the firstborn, that's Reuben, 
Joseph is the one that gets the double blessing. Now you read the, the chapter before this one, Genesis 48, and you'll see how Jacob handled that. But he got the double blessing through his sons. The, the reading of, of, of the promise or the blessing to Joseph here is poetic, and yet you're, you're not going to have any trouble seeing what it's talking about. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Bear in mind that they're in Goshen right now because of Joseph. A fruitful bough by a well, his branches run over the wall. That is, he's very prosperous in all that he does. The archers have bitterly, bitterly, bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. I think that has to do with his brothers and it has to do with Potiphar's house and all the things that have really hurt him. But now here's, here's the conclusion of that part. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. There's the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your father who will help you and by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessing of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. Any surprise there? Any surprise that Jacob would talk like that about Joseph, who has just blessed their family beyond words? 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Benjamin's descendants. I assume this has to do with his military abilities and passed down, but it's the descendants of Benjamin that are impressive. In Judges 3, you have Ehud, who delivered Israel from, uh, delivered them from uh, Moab, Moab, the Moabites. In 2 Samuel, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 9 through 18, you have Jonathan, who was loyal to David, to King David. Esther was a Benjamite. Paul, Romans 11 and verse 1, the apostle, was a Benjamite. Now, we go back to verse 8 to conclude this lesson. Judah, you're he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah's a lion's whelp. That is, at this point, you can't see what's going to happen through Judah. He's very, your lion's whelp is a young one, a small one. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? He's going to grow to be a mighty lion. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. That's just kind of interesting. Let me just give you a parenthetical note there. It means great riches. Great, wonderful blessings. And when you think about prosperity in form of, of a great harvest, binding your donkey to a vine, well, he's going to eat the grapes. He's going to eat and eat and eat and eat. You wouldn't do that unless you had so many that it didn't matter. And that's the point. But now we've got to focus on verse 10. The scepter is a, is a rod that we think of that would be held by a king. It has authority behind it. It has power behind it. And it belongs to the family of, of Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh has 
some different meanings. I, I will tell you that there is a city of Shiloh, but it's different from this. The only time in Scripture when you have it used as a description of a person is here, only once in the whole Bible. And it has to do clearly with the Messiah. It is Jesus. The definition of Shiloh uh, can be divided into two two things. It means peaceful. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it means, secondly, one who is sent. Now, in, in John chapter 12 and verse 44, Jesus points out that, that he was sent by the Father. He is the one who is sent. Shiloh is Jesus. And it's not going to happen. The scepter's not going to depart from Judah. So just follow this. When you get to the first, um, you get to the greatest king of Israel, who was that? It was David, of course. David is of the tribe of Judah. And you have Judah then. When you have the, the kingdom of Israel in, in 1 Kings 12 that divides, you have two major parts of the kingdom, Israel and Judah. That, that, that smaller one, the southern kingdom is called Judah. And because Judah is prominent in that. And, and so here you have this leadership. It is Judah. And when you, you go through those 400 years between the two testaments, the Old Testament, New Testament, you have 400 years there. When it, when the, the, the dawn comes and you have God speaking again, the people of God are the Jews. As you open the book of Matthew, Jesus is a Jew. The word Jew is short for Judah. It's Judah. And, and they have, they have maybe loosely stated, but they've got power. They've got sovereignty. The Jews do. Until the time of the birth of Jesus and the son of Herod, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 22, the son of Herod is going to be deposed. Archelaus, going to be deposed. And at that point, then the Romans really have taken over power. But when did that happen? It happened when Jesus came. It happened when Shiloh came. It's a fulfillment of the prophecy made right here by Jacob. It was Jesus. It was about Jesus. When we get to the end of our chapter, of chapter, chapter 49 here, uh, Jacob's going to draw up his feet in the bed. I mean, it looks like, when you read it, it looks like he, he did this took a few minutes, and then he just died, which is just remarkable. I want you to remember that the point of the Old Testament is Jesus. The point of this prophecy, who cares ultimately about what happened to Reuben's descendants or Issachar's or Naphtali? I'm not minimizing. I don't mean to do that. I'm just saying that that, that, that doesn't amount to a whole lot. They, those are people who lived and they did things and then they died and they had descendants and etc. This is about Jesus. This is about Judah. This is about, about the fact that the firstborn son didn't get it. Didn't get it. It wasn't about that. It was something bigger. You and I are in this room today because of Jesus Christ. We're in the room today worshiping our God through Jesus Christ. When we take advantage of our salvation, I, I, that is to say the salvation offered to us is through Jesus Christ. Paul and I were talking this past week about some scriptures and making the observation that people are not saved because they, or I'm sorry, they're not lost because they reject Jesus. People are not lost because they reject Jesus. They're lost because of sin. The life 
The life jacket is Jesus. Jacob says, Shiloh, Shiloh. And he pauses in this list and he says, I'm just thinking about the salvation. I'm just so ready for the salvation to come. What is that? That's Jesus. So in this room right now, what we have, we're worshiping our Father in heaven through Jesus Christ. We wear his name. We're Christians. Because Shiloh came. I wonder if someone here is not a Christian and wants to be. I wonder if you've studied and you've come to some conclusions. I know the scripture is right. I know I need to be a Christian. I know that there's no hope without forgiveness of my sins. And I know that only through Jesus can I have that. And Jesus is the one who said, he that believes in this baptized shall be saved. And Jesus taught us how to worship and how to live. The New Testament is his last will and testament. You can obey the gospel, repent of your sins and confess Jesus. Be baptized to have your sins washed away. The Lord will add you to his church, the sphere of the saved. And you can live your life committed, devoted to him. Maybe maybe you need the prayers of the Christians today. Maybe you are already a Christian. You need You need the help of other people praying. And we will be so happy to do that. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.